as always, I am joined by the corporeal Matt. Hello there. So, here we are, talking about the Doctor's Wife. Mm. Now, going into this episode, you knew the title, The Doctor's Wife. Who did you think The Doctor's Wife would be? I don't really know, because I knew from the past he's not being married. Mm -hmm. I thought we might get... A little bit of river, yeah. A little bit of river song, yeah. Popular theory, but this title is entirely misleading. Oh, so. isn't it though? So I make a joke with the students I work with at school. So I teach science, and everyone yeah. knows science is the finest of subjects. So yeah. my job is to denounce all other subjects. So, ah. so we quite often talk about GCSE English, where the students study the book and Inspector calls. Uh-huh. Now, of course, the big twist with an inspector calls is the inspector never calls. Yes. And in fact, there's no inspector. Yeah. Same here with the doctor's wife. There's no wife. There's not, no marriage. Not yeah. So, I don't know. As the writer of the episode uh, put it, it's it's about the, the, the age-old story, the love affair between a man and his vehicle. Mm. So. I don't, I don't know. Like, if I had a love affair with my car... My car's horrible and run down. It'd be like my slaggy bit on the side. Um, what what did you think of this episode? Well, um, first of all, let's, shall we address the writer of the episode? Because mm. it's it's uh, another big name. Perhaps yeah. the biggest name so far. Neil, Neil Gaiman. Neil bloody Gaiman. Mm. Are you fact, familiar with uh, his work? Oh, yeah. But if I just reach from my bookshelf, got his book of Norse mythology right here. Ah, I like him. Yeah, I, I like Neil Gaiman. Yeah, no, he's a good, a good writer. I've not read everything he's done, but what I have read, I've enjoyed. Mm. And uh, I think he does a great job with this episode. I really like it, but it's a bit of a Marmite episode, and I understand why. Yeah, uh, may as well come out and say it. Didn't like this episode. Did you not? No. Right. Yeah. Well, again, like I wouldn't say I hated it. I was just the wrong side of ambivalent <laughs> to this episode. <laughs> oh, that is damning. Like, there was some bit... Yeah. I'll, I'll be totally honest. I don't think I've ever distanced myself more when watching an episode. Mm. I was just like, yeah, okay, let's go. And, like, I don't so, know. I, think... I like the premise. Yeah. I, there's some bits, I think, the idea is great. Yeah. I just thought the episode was a bit naff, a bit boring. Nothing we haven't seen before. That's a shame. I would say there's definitely stuff we haven't seen before. But what I think... The reason that I think it doesn't click with everyone is because it is essentially Neil Gaiman's Doctor Who fan fiction that he has had sat on the shelf for like 25 mm. years suddenly come to life. It is such an... Like, inside episode of Doctor Who. You couldn't show this to a newcomer mm. to the show because it is about the essential relationship between the Doctor and the TARDIS. And if you have no affection for the character of the Doctor and the concept of the TARDIS, watching those interactions between the Doctor and the TARDIS in this story will just leave you cold. And I think that's maybe what happened with you is because... You're not quite there yet with your level, your mm. level of affection for this show. Like, you could be entertained by it, but you're not. You wouldn't necessarily call yourself a fan. No, I think if you're not a fan, like a capital F fan of Doctor Who and everything about Doctor Who, the concept of Doctor Who, 
this episode it's not it's not gonna necessarily do much for you is it this is one where i think if we hadn't watched it i wouldn't have been at any great disadvantage yeah I mean, certainly, if what you're if what you're coming to Doctor Who for is, you know, an ongoing narrative that gets teased out over several weeks, yeah, no, this episode you could slot it anywhere, really, mm. except for that. Obviously, it's it's particularly eleven. I think I'd slot even. it in the dog poo bin. You just you're just baiting me now, aren't you? Mm. I don't but, know. Yeah, I... I okay. I cannot watch this episode without a massive grin on my face the whole way through. And it's a rare occasion that I won't be a little bit teary by the end. That gives you some indication of how impactful this episode can be if you are predisposed to engage with it on the kind of meta level that it wants you to engage with it on. But yeah, as just a straight up nuts and bolts story... It is a little bit nothing. I, I just and I will accept that. I think if you're on primetime, BBC, like, make primetime shows. Not your nerdy in-jokes. <laughs> right? I, I don't want to hear, like... I don't have to go scouring bloody Reddit posts to work out <laughs> what's going on. But, yeah. There is, there is, for the fans, there is some lovely, lovely stuff in this story. And we will get onto it as, as it goes on. Um... And you never know, by the end of it, maybe I'll have made you appreciate a little bit more. Or you're more likely you'll be even more entrenched in your yeah. opinion. But let's see. Let's let's get stuck into it. Right, so we're all the way back to the 14th of May, 2011. We are. Okay. And we open in like a weird cavernous setting. Mm. With an ood. Yeah. Good old ood. Been a while. Yeah, it's a bit different this one. He's got like bright green eyes instead yeah. of bright red eyes. Yeah. What's going on there? Okay, so the episode stars Saran Jones. Yes. I mean, it sort of dates her, the episode, a bit. Like, she was big at the time. I mean, she made a bit of a comeback recently. Yeah. I think this would have been post-Coronation Street. I think that was her breakout role. Maybe. I've never watched Coronation Street, so I'll be honest. The thing I know Saran Jones from is this. Really? Yes. And then, was was she in A Touch of Cloth? Yes. Yes. I believe so. Yeah, yeah. I watched her in that as well. So that's why I, I don't know if I like her performance. Really? The bit where she's like nutty TARDIS woman. Yeah. I'm just like, again, it's just like, yeah, I get it. I mean... This this is your all, in-joke. Yeah. Like, move it's, on. It's all the way up to 11, but it needs to be. You know, I think it's... I like it, but I, I also I get why it's not going to be for everyone. Hmm. Imagine you went to the pub. I know this is always my scenario. Yeah, yeah. And I said, oh, I'm just bringing a friend tonight, David. Don't worry. And I just turn up with that. <laughs> I would be thinking, good luck, mate. <laughs> and uh, be on my way. Yeah. But but, yeah. but that, that can't be the metric by which all characters are judged. Yeah, it is. <laughs> would you stay for a pint with her? A pint, yeah. Not, not, a sim- not a sympathy pint because you don't want to be rude. No, because I think... Would she- you have two pints? Yeah, I could do one evening with her because I would. She would probably have some interesting stories and be a good laugh. And by the end of it, I'd be exhausted and I would what, never. Want even to though see if her like train of thoughts like zipping all over the place and she's talking absolute rubbish. Yeah, I could deal with that. I went to art school. Mm. You know, I've met <laughs> I've met a fair few Idrises in my time. Right. Is that the character's name? Yes. All oh, right. 
never once picked up on that. Yeah, it's I, I've just called her SJ, a shot for Saran Jones. Fair enough. So it works. she's going to have her soul removed from her body. Yep. And we then cut to the TARDIS. And there's a little knock on the door. Yep. And everyone begins to panic because we're in deepest, darkest outer space. Yeah. And I thought it could be the postcode lottery. Someone's knocking on the door. <laughs> Some. I, I make that joke all the time at work. When anyone knocks on my classroom like door, I go, "Hope that's the postcode lottery." Yeah. Okay. Uh, but it's actually Time Lord Emergency Mail. It was, and that is our first big bit of fan wanky uh, classic reference. Oh, have of... we seen these little boxes before? We have indeed. The War Games, the final story with Patrick Troughton, mm-hmm. uh, was the first time we saw. It's also the first ever. Uh, that story is the first ever use of the word Time Lord. Is that like the the Doctor's people had never had a name prior to that? So uh, yeah, significant stuff. They didn't the 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 cube didn't behave quite the same way on the sort of nineteen sixty eight yeah BBC black and white budget, but it was a little white cube that contained telepathic messages and. Um, so, yeah. So it's a message from the Corsair. The Corsair! Have we seen the Corsair before? We have never seen the Corsair on okay. television. A, uh, partly because they were an invention of Neil Gaiman. Never. Okay. A brand new Time Lord to be excited about. There has been bucket loads of fan fiction about the Corsair in subsequent years. Uh, there, are, there have been, I think, some depictions of the Corsair in comics mm-hmm. that I've not read yet but I'm excited to read when I eventually get there um, but yeah no, nothing on TV and you know what I think it should stay that way I'm quite happy having the Corsair as just this kind of like you know tantalising thing for the hardcore fans mm. but um, anyway yeah so the Corsair it, and uh, the Doctor knows it's the Corsair because it's got the Corsair symbol which is um, an Ouroboros uh, snakey I, I, I never know how to pronounce that because I, I've only yeah. heard it pronounced as uh, Arabara. yeah is it? I, I, I've but only then seen because it written of, down because of Red Dwarf yeah. I pronounce it Arabaros yeah. have, have you seen the Lister episode like yeah, Rings Vague Bells I can't it, it's where he thinks his mum and dad left him and they wanted to call him our Rob or Ross. But then he, he actually left himself because right. yeah. it's this our Robberus story yes. that yeah. goes round and yeah. round. And it turns out he's like his own dad. That rings bells now. Okay. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, um, but that, but we get the, the, the uh, mention that, that the Corsair always had that tattoo, like one of the first, and over uh, they regenerated, it's one of the first things they do get that tattoo, they didn't quite feel like themselves without it, and the Doctor makes reference to the fact, because uh, the way he phrases it is, he didn't feel like himself or herself on a couple of occasions. Mm. That is our first TV canon reference to the fact that Time Lords can change gender with regenerations. Okay. It has, there had never been any reference specifically contradicting it prior to this episode okay but there had also never been any explicit reference that it could happen either if that makes sense so it never been ruled out but it had never been specifically mentioned that they could had it been theorised prior to this yeah of course people have been theorising that since uh, well at the very least uh, 
when Tom Baker was hanging up his hat, um, he like teased the media and said that the next uh, Doctor was going to be a woman. So, and, and some but, papers but that, that, that won't have been like modern sensibility where it's no, like no, no, no. women deserve equal footing. He'd no, have said no. that like a real sly dog, like oh, it's probably going to be a woman. No, not not so much that, but he was just like he was just having a bit of fun with them because I think he knew that it wasn't going to be, but mm. but he was just like. You know, like, oh, let's see if they run with this. Um, I'm kind of glad, with hindsight, that we've not had a female doctor until we have, just because I don't think it would have been handled right previously. Uh, uh, yeah, I know it's a big statement, but I don't think the world was ready. No, or at least certainly not the media landscape at the time. Mm. wasn't quite ready. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's interesting. Uh, it's like planting seeds there. Tiny little seeds. Do you seeds think the next there. doctor will be male or female? Do you think it's like we've done women now? I don't think so. I th- I think it would ha- it, you you would have to make the next Doctor a woman because otherwise it makes Whitaker seem like a novelty. Mm. Um, so I think um, my money would be on uh, a woman, probably possibly a woman of colour, mm-hmm. or or maybe just a person of colour. Um, but then other there would definitely be. In quite quick succession, I think a few more women. Right. But just to establish that this is a thing we will do now, I think we're looking two or three doctors down the line before we have another man. Mm-hmm. So the doctor goes outside of the known universe to follow the signal. He says yes. he's never gone there before. And when they do, the soul of the TARDIS leaves and enters the body of Saran Jones. Yes. So the reason she had her soul removed was to make way for the soul of the TARDIS. Yes. We still don't know why yet. Okay. So, the Doctor, Amy and Rory land, and they're in like a weird scrapyard. Yeah. And Saran Jones approaches the Doctor. Okay. And this is where we're introduced to Auntie and Uncle. Yes. Who are like her carers. Kind of. I think they would have been like her family, but because she's got this like childish innocence now. Okay. Did you recognise Auntie? I can't remember who it is off the top of my head. So she plays a character called Anne in The Office. Right, yes. Particularly the Christmas specials Mm. when Dawn has left The Office and her replacement is just this awful woman. Yeah. So that's how I recognised her. She's great in this, I think. I think both Auntie and Uncle are. It's like, again, they're they're like intentionally very off kilter performances, but they're really fun it like it feels very Neil Gaiman-y like almost immediately we are taken outside of the regular universe so Neil Gaiman can just do whatever the Mm. fuck he wants for 45 minutes and you know what I'm okay with that um so yeah the whole thing uh, has that kind of I sort of had the opposite reaction I was like I wish they'd shut up and we could just get on with this episode nah they make me laugh I I enjoy them so the Doctor then speaks to the Ood and he says, oh, your communicator's broken, that's why you can't speak. When he hacks it, there's loads of distress calls. Yes. He says that they're all from Time Lords. Yes. So the Doctor gets excited yeah. at the idea that there are still Time Lords, they just exist outside the known universe. Yes, yeah. And I feel like, I don't know, I've seen this episode a lot of times, so it's hard for me to approach it with a sort of fresh brain. Did you think that there was a chance there? Or did you feel like, oh, the Doctor is, like, 
going to have his heart crushed very, very quickly. I, I thought at most there would be one. Yeah. And it could be like an evil ploy. Yeah. But then almost immediately it's revealed who the big bad is and what's going on. Yeah. And yeah. It all gets ruined. So it turns out the asteroid that they're on is sentient. Do they call it home or house? House. 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 Okay. Voiced by Michael Sheen. Is it? Yeah. I didn't recognise that. Yeah. Oh, that's good. I do. I love Michael Sheen. He's good value, isn't he? Yeah. I think whatever he's in, he's in 100%. Yeah. yeah. You know? I'm not saying that. Because it's just a voice performance, but you can, like, there is a genuine unsettling quality to Mm. it that, yeah, he does a cracking job on this. Yeah. I think there's a film called The Damned United. Mm. That's probably my favourite Michael Sheen film. Because he's good in Frost Nixon as well. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember what else I've seen him in. I know he's in Twilight, I believe. Uh, fair enough. He's I in... think he's also in Underworld. He's in a w- lot of yeah, weird he's vampire in, he is, He's in uh, Tron Legacy. Yes. And he's like completely off the wall in that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. He's Tron in... Legacy's a weird one, isn't it? I remember yeah. getting really excited when that came out. And when I'd watched it, Sorry. just like... No impact. Yeah. It's... I, I was thinking about this the other day when I was watching like films that are coming out soon and they're making like four more Avatar films. Does anyone really yeah. care? I know it was a big film and it broke all these... It Does... was because of the novelty though, wasn't it? It was yeah, just but like, what, 3D. What impact has that had? You know, it's no. not like the MCU. No. And I know we're fanboys and we love that. But like that sort of changed the way cinema is yeah, done like avatar feels like it, it felt dated within two years of it coming out somehow mm. um and that's the thing like you don't see people like cosplaying as those blue fuckers do you no like it, it it's had it, it's weird because it everybody saw it but it has had no lasting cultural impact Let, let's let's do it let's do a, a little test right so i've got my phone yeah and I appreciate I don't have that many followers. But let's just put a tweet out. Is Avatar anybody's favourite film? Let's just see if we get any responses before next week. Tune in next week, guys. Okay. Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So, it turns out there's been many Time Lords and TARDISes arrived here yeah. over the years and what what's the TARDIS's name Ingrid Idris Idris yeah okay refers to the doctor as thief yeah because I mean I know from my experience in the past he stole slash borrowed yeah the TARDIS so there's yeah. the first clue that's who she is yes okay So, the Doctor sends Rory and Amy back to the TARDIS to go get his sonic screwdriver. He says, it's in my other jacket. Mm -hmm. They can't believe he's got another jacket. And when they get there, turns out it's in his pocket. He had it all along. Yeah. And he uses it to lock them in the TARDIS. Yes. Okay. So, it's kind of almost an echo of... Do you remember uh, Parting of the Ways when... uh, Ninth Doctor sends Rose back in the TARDIS. Mm. So he's kind of just basically just getting them out of the way because yeah. part of him knows that this could be potentially very bad and yeah. he just wants to get them and out of the way. And if they're safe anywhere, 
it's in it the should TARDIS. be in the TARDIS. In okay. theory. So, the Doctor immediately finds all the distress signals he's yeah. been looking for. Because they're just in a cupboard. Yeah, just stashed in a cupboard. Yeah. Okay. So, all these Time Lords we were looking forward to meeting have been long dead. Yeah. And, like I say, he's been following beacons that were triggered years and years ago. And I think Matt Smith is magnificent in this moment. Mm. The way he plays that pain, that you get the feeling that he is angry and he is sad and he is annoyed with himself for having the audacity to mm. hope for a second. So, you know, and, in fact, and that's all on his face. I, I know I, I've been overwhelmingly positive about Matt Smith. Yeah. I like him even more now because this week my wife has started watching The Crown. Oh, yeah. In which Matt Smith plays Prince it's Philip, Philip. Yeah. who obviously is a character unlike the Doctor. Uh-huh. You know, the Doctor's likeable. Yes. And, you know, so he's playing Prince Philip. I think it's commonly a great bit of an arsehole. Yes, I would say and so. He's, he's amazing in it. I, yeah. I've basically... It's basically wa- the only reason I have any interest in watching The Crown. I've pretty much watched it to watch Matt Smith. Yeah. And, you know, The Crown's fine. It's an all right show. Uh, you know, it's, it's not terrible. I probably wouldn't have watched it if my wife isn't. But he's brilliant in it. Yeah. He's really, really good he's in an, it. He's an amazing actor. And it, it seems strange to me that he has, as of yet, kind of failed to break Hollywood. Yeah. Like, he's... He's had a few bits and bobs, a few like villain roles and things, but so he was in Terminator Genesis, yeah, which I've not seen because I'll be honest, I'm not big. I've not really gotten into Terminator. I'm not anymore. That one ruined it for me. Yeah, but then wasn't he also cast as Palpatine, but not? What the latest Star Wars? Yeah. Yeah. Full disclosure: I've not yet seen the latest Star Wars movie on account of the fact that I have a child mm. now, and so getting to the cinema is extremely hard. So I've, I've actually done a pretty good job of avoiding spoilers mm. for it. I am aware that it has had a mixed reception, mm-hmm. which is to be expected, I feel like, at this point. Mm. Because apparently you can't make a Star Wars film without just making half of the world extremely angry mm. for some reason. I, I've got a new rule for Star Wars. Yeah. You're only allowed to comment on Star Wars if you've seen a minimum of eight films in the cinema. <laughs> right? Because yeah. you're going to get people that are like, oh, the new prequels aren't that good, that weren't alive to see the pre, the, you know, the prequels in the cinema. Yeah. So I've seen all the prequels in the cinema, all the new ones. I've seen all the remastered original trilogy. Mm-hmm. I've seen Solo. And I've seen uh, Rogue One. Rogue One. Yeah. So I've seen each one yes. in the cinema setting. Yeah. I, at the end of the day, they are very fundamentally cinematic films. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So I think minimum of eight films before you're allowed to comment on Star Wars. I have no respect for anyone's opinion if they've seen fewer than eight. You know what? It sounds like a bit of a dickish thing to say, but also I, I respect that dance. Yeah. Because. Yeah, then the the point is they're not they're not supposed. On the one hand, they are very very pulpy, but they're not disposable. They are big and epic in yeah. scale, and because you need to take them in in that. If way if you didn't suffer, if you didn't suffer 
through the prequels in the cinema, you're not welcome to have an opinion in my ass. <laughs> I don't need to be lectured by yeah. people under the age of 20 about Star Wars. Yeah. I, I just have no time for their opinion. That's fair enough. Um, but anyway, yeah, I, I did hear the rumours that he was cast in... Uh, in that so he, that never came to fruition. No, so, what happened? So, so was my, it just my out? I think so. My understanding was whether it was flashback mm. or I don't know, false dream. Yeah, he was going to be playing a young Palpatine because yeah. obviously Ian, I forget What's, the yeah, I can't yeah that plays Palpatine. You know, even since the prequels, it will have aged. Yes, it's not. A young man. Yeah. So my understanding was they'd got Matt Smith to play that role. Right. But yeah. never good. came to yeah. it. Good casting. Yeah. But yeah. I hope. But yeah, no, it's 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 weird that he's not yet cracked it with Hollywood, but maybe one day. I'm sure he will. Yeah. I'm sure he will. As long as he's happy. That's all we can ask for. Yes, absolutely. So where are we from here? Um uh, he's over the cupboard. Oh yeah. And they're all dead. Yeah. So he's a, he's uncle comes to like talk to him. Yeah. And this is where we get my Frankenstein man for yeah, the series. I guess. So uncle is just basically constantly healed and upgraded yeah. by the meteor, yes. the asteroid that yeah. they're on on home. Yes. And house, same same for us. Yeah. yeah. So, so their time is coming to an end. Yes, so, they've been stitched together from bits and bobs of all of these dead Time Lords. Yeah. Um, including, the, the, the icing on the cake is that Auntie has got one of uh, the Corsair's arms. Yeah. The one with the tattoo. It's like that episode of Rick and Morty where Morty just gets one giant killer arm. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, just a small lady, but she's got one hell of a like left yeah. hook on her, hasn't she? Yeah, yeah. So it's... Um, yeah, it's... It's kind of, I, I I like it. So yeah, it is kind of riffing on uh, Frankenstein, but it's that kind of philosopher's axe thing of like you replace the 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 head and then you replace the handle and then you replace mm. the the head again and is it still the same axe? So it's like, are these people even yeah. the same people? It's like uh, Trigger's broom from yeah. Only Fools and Horses. Yeah. Where he's had the same broom for 20 years. It's only had four new handles and 12 new heads. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, from there, we get a flashback. I didn't really think it was relevant at the time. I should have known better. Yeah. Earlier in the episode, Idris had told the doctors that some boxes would make him angry. Yes. What she actually meant was these cubes. Yeah. That's yeah. what's upset him. Yeah, it's interesting. We haven't really talked about the way Idris speaks, but yes, it, it is this kind of mad flurry, and it's hard to miss. Uh, uh, sorry, easy to miss on first view- viewing, but she's constantly referencing things that haven't happened yet, or happened way in the past, or she's muddling up her tenses, mm. you know, and and it's because, obviously, she is a being that exists throughout time, mm. you know. So... The Doctor goes to speak to her, and it's at this point he realises she's been imbued with the spirit of the TARDIS. Yes. And the reason for that, this is where we get pretty much the revelation of the episode, Mm -hmm. is the asteroid house wants to eat the TARDIS to get that energy. Yes. But it can't do so without deleting the time matrix. Yes. So basically... He sucks the essence out of the TARDISes and, fe- and as she puts it, feeds off the remaining Artron energy. Artron energy being, you know, mm. an as- one of 
a type of energy that the, the TARDIS now kind of like uses to move through time. Because we do get a little acknowledgement when they land on the asteroid. It's like, oh, there's loads of rift energy here. It'll refuel. So it's good yeah. to see that forgettable plot point back. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there's okay. lots of mentions of that. So he... House puts this spirit inside a person, inside a vessel. Yeah. So does that mean Auntie and Uncle are also TARDIS people? No, I don't think so. I think he just keeps them around as kind of general just dogs police. Yeah. Okay, so the Doctor rushes to the TARDIS, knowing it's going to be eaten, yeah. as it disappears. Yeah. Amy and Rory are inside, they speak to House. Yeah. Okay, and because the Doctor has said, I'm the last Time Lord, this is the last TARDIS, Auntie and Uncle say that House is going to move into the main universe, yes. because there'll be nothing left for him to and, eat. And they will just die. And I re- this is such a Neil Gaiman moment. Mm. The way they're just very bright, they're like, all right, time for us to die then. Yeah. <laughs> and they just keel over. Yeah. And just like that kind of like really, really <laughs> dark humour. Oh, I love that. So, the Doctor realises at this point he's not just in any old junkyard. It's a TARDIS junkyard. Yes. As a result, he should be able to build a core of a TARDIS mm-hmm. and sort of have a crudely operating ship. Uh-huh. So... Rory then convinces House killing him and Amy quickly is no fun yes. and he should be kept alive for entertainment value. Yeah. Good good work, Rory. Mm. So, meanwhile, the Doctor is building a new TARDIS and they have a little discussion about which way the doors should open. Yeah. And this is delightful. I, mean, I, I love this scene so much. Is, is that a point of contention that they just address from the fandom? Where it's like, the door should open outwards! I don't know. It's something that I had never given a moment of thought until mm. I watched that scene for the first time. I'm just like, holy shit, yes it does. <laughs> and he pulls well, it open. It's like, um, I don't know if you ever used to watch Scrubs yeah. when that was on. So the opening title ends with an x-ray that says yeah. Scrubs. And it was like highlighted that the x-ray had been hung back to front and real doctors wouldn't do that. So in later series, when they introduce a new character... And she's like written into the opening credits. At the end, she just appears and goes, "That's backwards," and just turns it around. <laughs> and that's how they got her in. So that was pretty good. Yeah. Um, and in this scene, also contains a really significant line in possibly the quote of the episode. Yeah. Um, where they're having the Doctor and the Tardis are having a bit of a tiff at this mm. point, and the Doctor says, "Well." To be quite honest, you've not always been terribly reliable. You've not always taken me where I wanted to go. And uh, the TARDIS quips back, but I've always taken you where you need to be. Mm. Oh my God, that is magnificent. Mm. Whatever else you think about the episode, the entire episode is justified by that one line, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, that's one of the better bits. Because at the end of the day, like, that magnificently explains away one of the biggest problems this show has always had up until that point which is the TARDIS works magnificently when it when it's convenient for the plot and it goes completely and majorly off course when it's convenient for the plot and there's never really been a firm idea as to is the Doctor did just really bad at piloting the TARDIS mm. and then just uh, has flashes of genius do they get better as they move, as they sort of develop in their generations and then forget it all? Or what is it? Irrelevant now. 
Now we know. The yeah. TARDIS, you know... The TARDIS has been well, in control well, the whole yeah, time. Yeah, she can just overrule the Doctor whenever she feels like it. So, now that House is in control of the Time Matrix, it separates Amy and Rory as they're doing the running about for a bit down yeah. some corridors. And then it applies time distortion. So, yeah. Amy meets Rory as an old man. And he's like, you left me for 2,000 years before and you've left me again. Did this not affect you at all? I thought that... I think it's one of the most horrifying scenes we've seen Mm. in the show so far. I know I quite often make random tangents. Yeah. It reminded me of a film that probably no one's seen, but I really like it. Have you ever seen the film Cube? I haven't. I know of it, but I've. I've uh, so I'm, I'm assuming. I don't know whether I've got a strong enough stomach for it because I know it's like quite a sort of. I'm, I I I have a low threshold with horror. Yeah, it's not the most gory film. But by that, I'm guessing you haven't seen its lesser known sequel, Cube Two Hypercube. I have not seen Cube Two well, Hypercube. The difference between Cube and Cube Two Hypercube is in Cube, it's basically a cube made up of cube rooms, and yes. you can move from room to room. Yeah. In Cube 2, there is time distortion between each room. Mm. So you can go into a room before you've ever entered it and blah, 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 blah. Made me think of that. It's yeah. a pretty good film. Yeah. If you want to watch the worst film I've ever seen, watch the third Cube film, Cube yeah. Zero, which is a prequel. Oh. Absolutely the worst film I've ever seen. Amazing. Like, I. It sickens me how bad that film is. <laughs> does, it, does it just like, like retroactively undo everything good about Yeah, the but two? at the same time, I think I'm right in saying yeah. it was never released cinematically and it was like a TV movie that was only released in Canada. Wow. And, you know, I, I like bad films. I say it all the time. I like Transformers 5. I like Battleship. Yeah. You know, Snakes on a Plane. Love films like that. Cube Zero is where I draw the line. Wow. That is so terrible. Whoever made that film should be put up against a wall and shot. What if it was the same director as the other Cube films? Then he's lost his mind. (laughs) He's lost his mind. Ah. You've now made me much more interested in watching all three of those films. Watch them in the order they were released. Watch Cube. Watch Cube 2. And then when you're going to watch Cube 0... Just put your head in the oven. <laughs> Fair enough. But anyway, getting back to this episode, that moment is... Um, um, I, I think it's magnificent. I think um, uh, Arthur Darville, his performance as like old, abandoned Rory mm. is amazing. You feel so much. You feel everything he's feeling in that moment. It's just one quick scene. Um, and... I think it's really interesting because, like, he directly references it says two thousand years, and you did it to me again. So, you know, he's we've talked about how you know he has these kind of like flashes of memory of his time as an auton, mm-hmm. you know, standing guard for any years, you know, the last centurion, etc., etc. And you compare that the heroism and the sort of stoic nobility of all that time stood guarding her. He was able to endure all those centuries uh, because he had the hope that he would see her again. Mm. But take that hope away and just one lifetime is enough to utterly destroy him. Mm. 
I think that's that that tells you everything you need to know about Rory by just comparing those two. What what about when Amy finds dead Rory? That's pretty horrible as well, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's alright, because she then meets the real Rory. And it's just but house like, playing tricks. Yeah, but that's so fucked up, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So, like, yeah, I... I for, some people sometimes criticise this kind of, like, B plot, if you like, because it's very... They, they are very separate. Mm. The uh, the stuff with the Doctor and the stuff with Amy and Rory. Um, and I think possibly it was one of the ways in which this episode... Uh, this was kind of the episode where it meant that they can kind of shoot it simultaneously so they can have Amy and Rory running about on yeah. the TARDIS set whilst they're doing the stuff with Matt Smith and, and Saran Jones as uh, the Doctor and Idris. But, um... So some people criticise that sort of B-plot with Amy and Rory, but I think it's so good because it... I like it when this show takes the time to explore what they mean to each other. Because mm. um, that's an interesting dynamic that we've not had on the TARDIS before. Not, not so. in what I've seen. Yeah. So, Idris powers the Doctor's makeshift TARDIS, and whilst on there, he says, "Oh, you've got to give Amy some directions where to go." Yeah. She says, "Which one's Amy?" And he goes, "Oh, the the pretty one." And well, no, she she's the one who says, "Is it the pretty one?" And he's yeah. just like, "Yeah." I mean, one of the nice things that I like about this particular it, the other Doctor is that he seems a lot more asexual than. Mm. Uh, previous doctors we've had like so, i don't think he has any concept of what pretty is so when communicating with the pretty one yeah she actually contacts rory yeah and gives him directions which way to go yeah okay so whilst they're running about amy bumps into an ood and so it's the one from before yeah. is it called nephew yes they call nephew yeah. okay and it chases them into what looks like a tardis control room yes okay and House orders the Ood to kill them, but just in the nick of time, the Doctor and Idris arrive. Yes. Okay. And House toys with how it's going to kill the Doctor and tries to delete them. But doing so sends him back to the universe. Yeah, but well, it's back to the main console room, isn't it? Because they're in yeah. like a secondary uh, console yeah. room, I think. So yeah. it's like a safety feature, isn't it? That yes. if you delete something. That's From it. the TARDIS, yeah. yeah. It will just, you'll get transported straight back to the main console room. Yeah. So Idris's body then dies. Yeah. And her spirit returns to the TARDIS. And but before she does, we've got that beautiful line. Because at, at the first, at the start, she's like, she's, she, all the way through, it's kind of teased, like, oh, there's this big word, this, this sound word, I, I can't find the word. And then it, it, she finally gets it, and she just says, before I go, I just wanted to say, Hello. Yeah. Oh, that destroys me. Yeah, that's it, isn't it? She says, before I say goodbye, I need to say, say hello. Hello. Oh, that, that just that breaks me every time I watch this episode. See, one thing we haven't no, we haven't mentioned so far is before before all this, when the Doctor first meets Idris, yeah. she like goes, "Do I have a name?" And then she says, oh, is my name sexy? You always yeah. call me oh, sexy. Like, and he goes, <laughs> only when we're alone. She goes, oh, well, we're, we're alone now. And he goes, yeah. all right then. Come on, sexy. Yeah. And like that's like a little reoccurring joke. We yes, yeah, yeah. But that's the thing. That, that's Like I say, this is, it, it's fanfic, right? This is Neil Gaiman just being like, 
because it is exactly the sort of scenario you get in a in a, in a fan fiction where it's like, oh, what what if the TARDIS was a was a was a was a pretty lady and the Doctor got to flirt with the TARDIS and yeah. and run about and have an adventure and the TARDIS was a person. It, it is that, but fortunately, it's one of the best fantasy and science fiction writers this country has ever produced writing mm. the episode, rather than just you know some rando, and therefore. <laughs> It's you know it actually makes for a magnificent piece of television, um, but yeah, still like, but none of that discounts the fact that it is incredibly self-indulgent. Mm. So if you're not on board, you are. I think if you're not on board in the first five minutes of this episode, it is not going to persuade you yeah. by the end of it. So towards the end of the episode, then it turns out that Idris had given Rory a message that yeah. the only water in the forest is the river. Yeah, obviously links to River Song, but God knows how. And then we get a little bit of a chat about where everyone's bedrooms are, and it turns out Rory and Erie have been sleeping in bunk beds this whole time. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. because the Doctor had to like delete a load of rooms to get to to get to this like, kind of weird bubble universe, mm. didn't he? So so he's like, uh, um, yeah, I'll give you your room. <laughs> I just like the way Rory just very politely says, Doctor, can we lose the bunk beds this time? <laughs> and then. Final little bit of the episode. Yeah. The Doctor's talking to the TARDIS, and he's like, right, let's go. And all of a sudden, all the levers start flicking themselves, because yeah. the TARDIS still has its like little remnant of sentience. Yeah. It always knew what, what needed. Yeah. So, I don't know. Like, I just feel this is one of those episodes where, like, the villain means nothing. We're never going to see them again. Yeah. You know, nice idea, but, you know. I just think there's so much more we could have done. I don't know. It is self-indulgent wank, and I love every moment of it. Mm. I, what, what can I say? I think, like I say, I, I think this is just one where the more of a fan you are, the, the, the harder it is to have any kind of rational critical faculties for this episode, because it just bypasses all of that and goes straight to the sort of squeeing fanboy part of my brain that's just like, oh, the Doctor and the Tardis. Like I say... It's beautiful. I I just think, primetime BBC, you should have just, you know... It's not the time for in-jokes, is it? (laughs) If this was on, like, BBC Three or some... Yeah, or some, like, tie-in novel or something, then... Yeah, Yeah. I, I, I get that argument. I genuinely do. Um... I don't care. It's it's magnificent. I love it. It might even be a top ten episode for me. Don't know. Really? Yeah, I love it. I I, I have no legitimate complaints because it just, as I say, it just makes me grin all the way through, and then makes me have a little tear at the end. And I cannot ask for any more from an episode of Doctor Who than that. Yeah. But, uh, so again, I'd probably just rank it as fine. It's one of those where. Couple of series time when we're talking about series eight, I'm I'm not going to remember this. Yeah, uh, who knows? Yeah. Maybe it has. Great Except in the future when it yeah. goes, oh, the, the, the TARDIS <laughs> can never be alive, and I'll be like, it's been alive. <laughs> Stop forgetting your continuity. <laughs> well, let's see what uh, what happens to the continuity in next week's episode when we will be discussing the Rebel Flesh and the Almost People. Until then, great. Thanks. For I don't like it when it's got elusive titles. I want it to be like, um, 
Oh no, just like the Jadoon return. <laughs> right. Because it'll be like the rebel flesh. And I'll be like, what's that then? And then yeah. it'll just be like, there think, won't be any rebel flesh. Do you think it'll be something we've seen before? Do you yes. Think, yeah. You think it will be the Jadoon? No, I wish it was, but. No, I don't, because they. I romanticise them. Are you hankering for the Jadoon? No, they're fucking annoying when they're talking. <laughs> I just oh, like. Don't ri- flow, yeah, I just like rhinoceroses. Yeah. Uh, well, maybe it'll be the Jadoon, maybe it won't. Tune in next week to find out. Until then, thank you very much for listening, and cheerio. Bye now. Thank you for listening to Neither the Time Nor the Space. If you wish to contact us, our email address is timenorspacepod at gmail.com, and on Twitter we are at timenorspacepod. And thank you to Alexander Urban for his smashing arrangement of the Doctor Who theme.